Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor of Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org. Contact us. We'd love to help. Take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 is where we'll be tonight. Not the fourth book of the Bible, but the fifth from the last. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 15. Now we're going to get some people in trouble tonight. With a show of hands, how many of you are married to your childhood sweetheart? Raise your hand if you're married to your childhood sweetheart. Okay, I see two people. I see two people. All right. Oh, three people. Okay, even better. All right. Now, this is the question that's going to get some people in trouble. How many of you have had a crush on someone or a significant other before you met your spouse? Raise your hand. Okay, that's the vast majority of us. Uh, Well, as you know, I am married to Casey. We have been married for a year now. We met at Pensacola Christian College freshman year. I was 21 and she was 18. And we met at a Christian service. In my opinion, that's a pretty good place to meet, especially at a Christian college. We met at a Christian service and the first conversation that we ever had, we were just, we were talking about muscle cramps. She was talking about uh, her Charlie horse that she had in her calf, and that gave me an opportunity to tell her about my bicep cramp that I had in my bicep. So that was a, that was a good first start. Uh, but we have been married for a year, but unfortunately, and I, I wish, because I am married to the girl of my dreams, uh, I had liked somebody previously. Now, I'm, just go- I'm not going to tell you about everybody that I ever liked, but I'll tell you about the first person that I ever liked, and this was when I was eight years old. I wasn't even fresh out of the girls have cootie stage. But I had a crush, and I'm not going to say her name, so we'll call her Sally. I had a crush on this girl named Sally, and let me tell you, I really liked this girl. And it was really painful for me because we were next-door neighbors. So I saw her every day, and I thought, man... I really like this girl. So at 10 years old, at 10 years old, I I decided to do something. And teens, I would advise you not to say this as a pickup line. I decided to tell Sally that I loved her. Now, obviously, that love wasn't real. I was 10 years old. I didn't really know what real love for a significant other was. But I had approached Sally, and I said, Sally? I love you. And I didn't say it that smooth either. It was actually quite pitiful. And I still remember it to this day. But Sally had an older brother. And he has a name too, but we'll call him George. He, he was just walking by. And he stops. And he hears what I say to his younger sister. And he walks back and says, What did you just say? And I said, I said, I loved her. What are you going to do about it? And so George... He has been a redneck since he came out of the womb. He has been a redneck for a long time. So I was a little worried about what his comeback was going to be. And so he says to me, all right, prove it. And I said, okay, I will. I will. And so he goes in the garage, and now I'm worried because there's a lot of weapons in there. But instead, he comes out with this life-size cooler. I, to, to this day, folks, I'm, I'm not convinced it wasn't a coffin. But he comes back with this thing, and he wheels it, and I'm worried. And I said, what do, you, what do you want me to do with this, George? And Sally responds, and this just shows you that evil minds think alike. But Sally responds, if you love me, you're going to get in that cooler. Apparently it was a cooler. And you're going to stay in there for an hour, 
And if you can stay in there for an hour, then I'll tell you I love you back. Then I'll tell you that I love you back. And so I wasn't thinking about the repercussions. I just thought, okay, I really like this girl. Here goes nothing. And so I get in there. And when I say it was life-size, I mean lengthwise, but width-wise, not so much. I was only 10, but I had to finagle my way in there. I had to close my arms together and then fold them and then put them behind. I still don't know how it works, but I had to put my arms behind my back. And then I realized I'm claustrophobic. So right now, I'm really worried. And so the casket, excuse me, the, the cooler, it closes, and all I hear is a latch. They locked this cooler casket. And so it is pitch black. So I am faced with two of some of my worst fears. Darkness and really, really tight spaces. So I'm in there for what I thought was half an hour, but it turns out it was actually about 30 seconds. And I started yelling, hey, I don't love her anymore. I don't love her anymore. I I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. Nobody can hear me. Nobody can hear me. It's just bouncing off of the whatever, the lid. And so then I start trying to move my arms. I couldn't. I could not move my arms. They didn't bind my arms, but I was stuck. So I'm looking at some of you claustrophobic people's faces. This is really uncomfortable for you right now. That's good. That's good. So just think about how tight this was. Yeah, so the only thing that I could move, and I want you to visualize this, the only thing that I could move was was my legs. So just envision me laying down. I'm laying down right now. The only thing I could do was... And so I can only do that every couple of seconds. But I kept saying, I don't love her anymore. I don't love her anymore. I take it back. And so then I heard more noise combined with the noise that I was making. They were on top of the cooler. They were hopping on it. Folks, they were literally dancing on my grave. And so the cooler cast it started to move. It started to move back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And my neighbors, Sally and George, they lived on a hill. You know where this is going. It's going downhill, as was I. And I was rolling, I was rolling. Luckily, I was just shoved in there enough to where I wasn't moving. So this was, I was just kind of going around, and suddenly the movement stopped. And I said, I'm dead. And it opens. The casket opens. Apparently, we're just going to call it a casket now. It opens. And all I see was light. And I said, yeah, I'm dead. This is, this is what heaven is, right? And I saw my father. Not my heavenly father, my physical father. And he pulls me out and he says, now you know the kind of girl that she is. Are you done messing around with Sally? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. And so he pulls me out and I still hear laughter in the background. And I, I tug on my dad's sleeve and I say, hey dad. And I look right at George. I look back at my dad and I said, I'll be right back. Now, I don't support violence, but this is as close to self-defense as you can get. I beat the snot out of George. And this was my way of showing him I don't want to be shoved in a life-size cooler again. But can I tell you something, folks? Before we met Christ, before we meet Christ, we convince ourselves that we love sin. Now, we might not verbally say it. We might not even say it in our heads. 
But when we put our priorities above Christ, that is exactly what we're saying. That's exactly what we're saying. My priorities, my way is better than God's way. But then we meet Christ, and everything changes in that moment. Everything changes in that moment. Now, we can blame it on the devil, all that we want. We can blame sin on on the devil, right? I could have blamed that whole scenario on George and Sally, but they didn't bind my hands. They didn't throw me in this whatever you call it. They didn't throw me in there. They didn't force me. They offered me the choice. Satan does the same exact thing with sin, and that's how he tempts us. He offers it. He puts something attractive in front of us that convinces us that this right now is better than later. We don't think about the repercussions of sin. We don't think about the later. We think, it's going to make me feel good now. And so we sin. And that's how we sin. And even after we trust Christ as Savior, we're still putting sin first. You know that saying, there are two choices on the shelf? Pleasing God and pleasing self. Every time we choose something other than God, we choose ourselves every single time. Now, how do we transfer out of this mode? Well, there's two things that we have to do. The first is we have to take sin seriously. We have to take sin seriously. We have to get it out of our lives. We have to purge it, realizing that the only person who can do that is God. We don't have the power to do it. We don't have the power to kick sin out of our house. We rely on the power of God. We rely on the power of Christ because in our own ability, in our own strength, we can't do it ourselves. The second thing we have to take seriously, we have to take the gospel seriously. We have to take the good news, salvation seriously. Because if we don't, people die around us and we don't give it a moment's notice. We don't give it a moment's notice. Our father stopped us from rolling downhill and asked us, are you done messing around with sin? The love that I had for Sally, it was not real. It was distorted. And it led to almost literal heartbreak. It wasn't real. Our love for sin is not real. It is distorted and it is ugly. But that's where Christ comes into the picture. Now this past week we've We've talked about a couple of love messages. Pastor Egerdahl, or uh, Brother Egerdahl, he preached on the anthem of, of scriptural love. He preached on John 3.16. And then Pastor Colton preached on unity in the church. And he did an excellent job of describing God's love for the church. Well, the title of tonight's sermon is When We Doubt God's Love. When We Doubt God's Love. The goal, if I want, if I want Christians, y'all, to take away anything from this, it is... We need to look back at the cross. And hopefully, that is what we do tonight. So let's open in a word of prayer. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for salvation. Lord, we thank you that we are no longer a slave to sin, but that we're free. We're free in you, and we're free because of you. Lord, help tonight to go well. Help, uh, help me to say truth from your word and not my own opinions. And Lord, help us to walk out of here looking to the cross. In Christ's name, amen. Number one, he loved us first. Just two points tonight. Just two points tonight. But again, we need to do two things. Number one, we need to take sin seriously. Number two, we need to take the gospel seriously. We need to do both of those things by realizing first that he first loved us. You're in 1 John chapter 4. 
First John chapter 4, we're in verse 15, excuse me. It says, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because He first loved us. John says, whosoever shall call. Not some, not certain few, but whosoever shall call. Whosoever shall call. We believe in the love that God had for us because Christ demonstrated it on the cross. If we have any doubts that God loved us at all, all we need to do is look back to the picture of what love is, what true love is, and that is that sacrificial love that Christ decided to give us Because he loved us. It's as simple as that, but it's also as profound as that. We see through God, our love is made perfect. It's made mature. It's made whole. But that can only be through God. It has absolutely nothing to do with us, and it has everything to do with God. Our love is made perfect through him. We were weak, but in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We don't have to be afraid because the perfect love of God drives out sin. There it is. There it is. We don't have the power to do it by ourselves. We don't have the power to boot sin out of our house. But the love of God has all the power to get rid of sin. And that is exactly what happens when we place our trust in him. When we place our trust in God, we're clean. We're clean. Because we can't do it ourselves. We can't clean ourselves from all of our sins. We can be bold. We can be courageous. And this is where the gospel comes into the picture. This is where the gospel comes into the picture. Because Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed. And so, I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you read anything about Paul. But he took the gospel pretty seriously. He made it his life's mission to take the gospel seriously, to take it all around the world. And he didn't do it alone either. What did he do? He made disciples. And those disciples made disciples. And so on and so forth. He took the gospel seriously. I am not ashamed of the gospel. How? How did Paul do that? What's the difference between us and him? Well, on his journey, when he got stopped by God himself, he didn't say, where are you, God? He said, who are you, God? Now, can I be honest? Whenever we're trying to lead, and this is usually with a younger person. It's usually with a younger person. It could be with an older person as well. But when we're trying to lead people to the Lord, oftentimes we talk about the places. We talk about here or here. We try to scare them out of hell and we try to motivate them to heaven, right? And then when you, whenever you hear testimonies, most of the time what you're going to hear in a testimony is this. I heard, a, I heard a message about hell. And it scared me. And I realized I was on my way there. Does that sound familiar? Now there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being motivated to go to heaven. There's nothing wrong with looking forward to go to heaven. It, 
Christian, if you're a Christian and you're not looking forward to going to heaven, you're crazy. I'm sorry. But heaven is a wonderful place. We have no idea what it's like, but we know who is going to be there. And that is the point. When we lead people to the Lord, it's not about the place, it's about the person. We need to look back to the cross and realize that was for us. That was for me. Why? Because he loved us first. It's not the other way around. It it doesn't say in the Bible, he loved us because we loved him first. No. He created us. He walked with us. He still walks with us. And he died for us. The fact was, a final, perfect sacrifice had to be made. If any of you have read the Old Testament, you would know that anytime anybody did anything wrong and they believed in God and they, they knew that they sinned, they would have to make a sacrifice, a substitute. This perfect animal is going to die for my sins. But can I tell you, as time went on and as time goes on, there's not enough animals in the world for how many sins we commit. And I'm not trying to be silly about that either. God saw the need and said, one. One final sacrifice. And that was Jesus. Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus was the substitute. And it wasn't for any other reason other than he loved us. He loved you and he loves me. Since God can't dwell with sin, this had to happen. Because we hear all the time, even after we're saved... You're not worthy. You're not worthy. The problem is, whenever we hear attacks from Satan, yes, some of it's a lie. Some of it is a lie. But then he uses truth. He uses the past. He uses the guilt. He uses the sin. And he turns it and he meshes it all into an awful feeling called shame. There's nothing wrong with guilt. There is nothing wrong with guilt. Guilt is, I did something wrong. It's a censor. You did something wrong, you feel guilty about it. But then there's shame. Shame is there's something wrong with me. And Satan does an excellent job at making us feel that way. But the problem is now our focus is elsewhere. When we accepted Christ, it was here, it was on the cross. But now our focus is elsewhere. Christian, I'm convinced That this is because we're looking here and we're looking there. We're looking at the now, which is why we sin, and we're looking at the later. But ultimately, it has to be about the person. Have you ever heard the saying, a Christian walk is not a sprint, it's a marathon? It's a journey. But we, what we do is we convince ourselves, I'm a Christian now, I'm good. I know where I'm going. I know I'm winning. I know I'm on the winning side. There's nothing that I can do. There is nothing that I can say. There's nothing that I can look at. However many times I'm in God's hands, I'm good. And we feel secure. We feel safe. That's a good feeling. But here's the problem. Satan can use that to trip us up. He can use that to say, hey, you are good. So you don't need to do anything else with your walk. 
If we are motivated by the person and not the destination, we're going to take sin seriously and we're going to take the gospel seriously and we're going to take it to others. See, dying would not be easy for Christ. Dying wouldn't be easy. But being separated from his heavenly father, that's what made him sweat drops of blood for us. Being separate from his holiness, even for a moment. Can you imagine the stress that our Savior went through? Why did he do that? He did it for us. He did it because he loved us first. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Oftentimes, what would happen is, Christ would rebuke the scribes and the Pharisees because they would often say the wrong thing. But to be honest with you, the disciples had a problem with that as well. And in verse 21 it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And in verse 23, But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. See, when we were younger and we heard this story, we thought Jesus was being a little mean. We thought Jesus was being mean to Peter. He's like, give him a break. To be honest, Peter reminds me a lot of Donald Trump. He has some good things to say, but most of the time he has his foot in his mouth. And that was the same situation here. He said, be it far from thee. What was Peter's mentality? What was going on in his head? Didn't he read prophecy? Do you not think that he had to die? What Peter was thinking is that I don't want my friend, I don't want my savior, I don't want my God to die. That, that's all that was on his mind. But what was going on in the mind of Christ, which by the way is who we should be like-minded as, not Peter, not Paul, Christ. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. What he was hearing was, don't th- do the one thing that only you can do. Don't save the people that only you can save. See, we look at sin, and we don't look at the after effects. We look at right now, it makes me feel good now, it looks good now, so I'm going to do it now. And then some of us, if if we're a little bit wiser, we do look at the repercussions. We say, well, if I do this, then this is going to happen. But if we love Christ... Then it's not about reputation, it's not about what makes me feel good, it's going to be, is this going to lift my Savior up, or is this going to hurt him? We don't sin because we're stupid. We don't. We know what's going to happen if we sin. We know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to hurt our testimony, and it's going to hurt God. But we don't think about that part. What we do think about is in the moment... This feels good, so I'm going to do it. That's when we take God here and we put us here. We put our priorities and our wants and our needs on the top shelf. And then God starts getting lower 
and lower and lower, and we're still here. What needs to happen is this, but how does this happen? First, we need to realize that he loved us first. Secondly, he loved us unconditionally. He loved us unconditionally. Turn in your Bibles to Romans. Romans chapter 5. While I'm turning there, I'm going to ask a different question, and this one will not get anybody in trouble, I promise. But how many of you have been married for a year? A year or less? Raise your hand. A year or less? Okay. Me and my wife. Kate. Okay, Aaron. A couple of us. All right. How many of you have been married for 10 years or less? Raise your hand. 10 years or less? Okay. 20 or less? 50 or less? 50 or greater. Oh, okay, we have some people. All right, awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, whenever I married Casey, can I tell you what was not going through my mind? Whenever I decided to marry Casey, which by the way was pretty early, whenever I saw her, I thought, man, this is the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. And she can make me laugh, and that is a bonus. That's a bonus. There are so many things about her. She made me happy. But you know what was not going through my mind? Huh, I wonder what house we're going to end up in. I wonder how big our backyard is going to be. I wonder how big our front yard is going to be. I wonder how... It had absolutely nothing to do with the destination. It had to do with... I love this person. This is who this person is. This is why I love this person. I want to spend the rest of my life with Casey. It wasn't until we got engaged that I had to start thinking about, you know, where I'm going to end up, where, what house we're going to get. But as I loved her and as I walked with her, as I talked with her, as I got to know her, what were we doing? We were developing a relationship. When it comes to Christ, when it comes to salvation, oftentimes what happens is it is a religion and it's not a relationship. We don't walk with Christ. It's, he can give me salvation and he can give me heaven. So, that's what we're motivated by. That's when the walking stops and that's when the relationship stops. It's no longer his needs. We don't love him like he loves us. Now, I want, this isn't a show of hands question, but I want, I want you to think. Do you think that you love God more than he loves you? No way. No way. But we can grow in love. We can grow in love. Now what happens is, the Bible says if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans chapter 5, that's where we're at in verse 6. It says, for when we were without strength in Due time, that's scripture, for just in time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one, not, will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What is verse 7 saying? Well, verse 7 says, a good man might die a noble martyrdom for a righteous man or a good man. Yet peradventure, some would even dare to die. That's what that's saying. You know, a good man might die for another good man. 
Christ didn't die for good people. He died for the unrighteous, the ungodly, and definitely the not good. He died for you and me. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. We talked about how Christ loved us first. He loves us unconditionally. While Satan whispers in the back of our head and says, you're unworthy, Christ died on the cross and said, I don't care, they're worth it. They are worth it. I really like, uh, I really like talking to uh, Pastor Goforth because he, he tends to sum up things a little bit quicker. My, my problem is I, I tend to beat around the bush. He does not do that. I don't know if you've met Pastor Goforth or ever had a conversation with him, but he's not guilty of doing that. Well, one of the things that, that we talked about one time was the idea of confession. Confession. So I asked, well, what's a good definition of confession? He said to say the same thing. Some of my teens are whispering. That, that's good. Y'all are paying attention. That's good. To say the same thing. So there was a girl, and she was speeding. She was going 90 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. I know, she was really speeding. And she gets pulled over, and the, cop pulled, and the officer pulls her over and says, you were going 90 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. And the lady says the same thing. I was going 90 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. And she goes to court. And the judge says, you are guilty of going 90 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. Well, in order for that case to be closed, she has to say the same thing. And the judge comes around after the case is closed. He brings out his wallet and says, yeah, I, I have your ticket, fine. Oh, and I'll also cover your insurance. It's a lot. That's very, very similar to what Christ did. While we were guilty, Christ paid. Christ paid. As a lot of you know, Casey and I recently added another addition to our family. A dog. It wasn't a child. It was a dog, right? Puppy, her name is Raya. And, you know, as we were raising her, she did puppy things. What you would expect a puppy to do. Well, and I give you my word, I did lock the cage. But I had locked the cage and we had left. And we came back and Raya was not in the cage. And we started to look around for any puppy trouble. And sure enough, right there in the living room, we looked on the rug, and there was Casey's aloe plant. It was everywhere. The vase was everywhere. The potting soil was everywhere. The the plant itself was torn in pieces. It was a mess. It was a mess. Now, would it have made sense for me to ask Raya to clean up that mess? No. No. Last time I checked, I don't think our dog has opposable thumbs. Okay, just just making sure. It it wouldn't make sense. It would not compute for her. If I said, Raya, now you're going to clean up that mess. She doesn't have the capability. She doesn't have, she doesn't understand whenever I say clean up the mess. So who has to clean up the mess? We do, the ones with opposable thumbs. Because even if she managed to lick up all of the potting soil, there would still be a stain. There would still be a stain. So what did we do? Well, Casey's the dog whisperer, so she says, bad girl, she spanks her on the behind, and now she's in dog timeout, and she watches as we clean up the mess, something that she could never do. I know that is a really silly illustration, but at the same time, it's relatable. We do not have the capability of cleaning up our own sin. We don't have the capability. 
We don't have any understanding of how to do it. We don't have the power to do it. So whenever Christ intercedes, he says, you're guilty, but I got this. I'm going to clean up your mess. When we accept Christ, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins, to get rid of the sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because why? Because all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Nothing that we can say, nothing that we can do could be good enough to get rid of that mess. Now, Rye is a cute dog. But nothing cute that she would ever do would get rid of the mess that was on that carpet. If we just left it there for weeks and she tried to do cute things, what a dog is supposed to do, would that make that mess disappear? No. It's the same thing. As we try to do good things, that sin is still present. We confess, we say the same thing, and then we repent. We turn away. We turn away. When we meet Christ, we repent. We turn away from our sin. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 and then we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 10. And look in verse 14. It says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Where of the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant, this is the promise that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Have you ever heard the saying, God forgives and forgets? There you have it. He remembers our sin no more. He doesn't look at us and see the sin anymore. He sees his son. And as we walk with Christ, we become more of a picture of his son. We become more of a picture of his love. But in order for that to happen, we can't just accept Christ and then, it, and then go to heaven. That's not a walk. That's not a relationship. That's not how we get to know Christ. Our mission while we are on this earth is to know Christ, to praise Christ, and to proclaim the gospel. In order to do that, we have to realize he loved us first. How do we know that? We look back to the cross. And number two, he loved us unconditionally. How do we know that? He remembers our sins no more. And Josh, earlier, he sang a song by Ron Hamilton. There was another song. It was called The Father Looks. I'm not going to sing it, I promise. But it starts off, The Father looks on me and sees not what I was or am, he views the righteousness of Christ and not my cursed sin. The Father looks and pities me. He knows that I am dust. But he treats me not as I deserve, but as though I were just. And then the last verse. The Father looks for me with hope. For me, his wayward son. I stand afar, detained by shame. He cries for joy. And runs. The Father looks on me and smiles, for it is Christ he sees. This is my own beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In order for us to take sin and the, and the gospel seriously, we need to realize that sin is serious. 
Sin is what ultimately divides us from a true relationship and walk with God. We have to get rid of it. How do we remember that God loved us? We just look back at the cross. We look back at the cross and remember. A life for Christ is not a life at all. So Christian, as we walk out of here today, remember the cross. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for salvation. Lord, help us to take the gospel seriously, the good news of salvation. Not being ashamed, but help us to rightly divide the word of truth. And Lord, as we walk out of here, help us to look back at the cross and remember that you loved us first and you loved us unconditionally. It's not about the destination, Lord. It is about the person of Christ. Help us to know you better. In Christ's name, amen. You're dismissed.